1 Peter, this epistle was written to encourage folks and to bring them together. It says that these folks were scattered abroad from different regions. And so Peter begins to emphasize some things that they have in common. And this is a blessing for Christians to realize what we have in common. First Peter chapter one, we'll look at a few of the maybe look at most of chapter one. Real good, real good chapter. First Peter chapter one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. So Peter is writing this letter. He's writing to various groups And you'll see that the purpose of the letter is to encourage them. It's to unite them. It's to encourage them in their walk to the Lord and encourage them in their status in the Lord. And then Peter starts out and he says they are. He's writing who he's addressing it to right here. He talks about the people that are scattered abroad. And then he classifies these folks right here. He says they are the elect. He says they are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So Paul begins to categorize and define who that this is written to. He said it's written to the elect, to the child of God, to those who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification of the spirit. Now, some uh, ideas about foreknowledge are simply this, that God, through his foreknowledge, through all of his knowledge, looked down through time and saw who would or would not accept him. Look down through time to see who might believe on him or who would not. And that as a result of God looking down through time, that that gave him the knowledge of how folks would uh, respond or act or choose him. But that's not the foreknowledge that he's talking about right here. The foreknowledge that he's talking about right here is that God had knowledge and a purpose for his people from before the foundation of the world. And that what God purposed, he knew and he would see it come to pass. And so he says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the father, through sanctification of the spirit and obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, grace and peace be multiplied. Let's look a little bit more at foreknowledge in Romans. It's addressed in a couple of places right here. Romans chapter eight. Uh, Such great uh, principal points of the doctrine. Romans chapter eight. Verse twenty nine. For whom he did foreknow. So I believe that this gives us some insight here. That the foreknowledge of God that is talking about here is about God's people. And we're going to see that it's talking about where God's people are going to end up. So the foreknowledge of God that is referring to right here is a people. 
Some folks get the idea that when you talk about the foreknowledge or predestination or election, that it's carried through to every single event in our life. And that was a concept that was emphasized back in upstate New York that that even our actions were predetermined by God. There were some there were some uh, ministers back in the 1800s that embraced this theory and began to promote this theory. And it's referred to as absolute predestination of all things. But when we look at the scripture and look at how uh, predestination is addressed in the scripture, it's talking about God predetermining where we're going to end up. God predetermining our destination. So when you look at predestination, God is predetermining where we're going to end up. God is not predetermining every single act or thought that we do. God is not the author of sin. And we cannot tie the two together and accuse God when we think the wrong thought, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. We can't lay that to God. God did not cause us to do that. Um, It's of our own account but we can't lay it to the charge of God. So Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says, For whom? So it's talking about a people. He says, For whom he did foreknow. And interestingly here, there's five different uh, categories that he's addressing right here. He says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, predetermine their destination. That's what he's talking about right here. He says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So he starts out and he says he foreknew the same individuals, the same number of people that he predetermined their destination. So that's what he's talking about here when he's talking about foreknowledge. He says, moreover, brethren, those that he foreknew... Moreover, brethren, whom he did predestinate, he says them he also called. So the same vast number, it's a large number, it's a big number. God has a big family. The same number that he foreknew, he did also predestinate. That same number that he predestinated, it says that he also called. And then it says those that he called, the same number he justified. And those that he justified, the same number he actually glorified. So it's exactly the same group of people that he's talking about right here. And they're defined as being the elect family of God. So those that he foreknew from before the foundation of the world, those that he predetermined their destination, he also called them. Now, God's calling, as we've seen in John chapter 6, is completely effective 100% of the time. We don't embrace the thinking of softly and tenderly Jesus is calling. When God calls an individual, he does it with grand authority, with all authority. Now, not to fault the song that is written that way, but we don't see God wringing his hands and begging an individual to make a choice. When God speaks, he speaks that life-giving voice. And when he speaks that life-giving voice, we live. 
from not only a natural standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint as well. So those that he foreknew, he also did predetermine their destination. Those that he predetermined their destination, he caused them here in this life. It could be yet in their mother's womb or it could be like the thief upon the cross. At some point in time between conception and death, there is a spiritual calling that God does and he knows where they are and he reaches them effectively all the time. Now he says those that he foreknew and those that he predestinated and those that he calls, he says there's some good news for that individual. The gospel itself is good news. But the good news is that those individuals are also justified. They're not justified by their own works, by their own actions, by their own deeds, but they're justified solely by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he says there's something good coming. Brother Al Perry used to say, I like that song. What a day that will be. And it would it would direct our mind and our attention to the day that's coming. So what he's telling us right here is that the large family of God that's referred to as the elect of God. They're foreknown by God. They're predestinated by God. They're called by God. They're justified by God. And then they're also glorified. Now, I believe that we get just a little bit of foretaste of that right here. God gives us a little bit of insight to heaven itself. If you didn't have a desire and an insight for heaven, you wouldn't have any desire to sing these songs that we sing. You wouldn't have any desire to hear about heaven and about our uh, eternal home and, and, and where Christ is dwelling. But the reason that you have a desire to sing about heaven, to know about heaven, to hear about heaven, to long for heaven is because you've been foreknown is because you've been predestinated, is because you've been called by His grace. And the good news is you've been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. So as a result, you get a little taste of the glorification that is to come. But in the mind of Almighty God, you're as good as glorified in His mind and purpose. He's sealed the entire project. And so you're going to experience uh, heaven eternally someday and we're going to ultimately experience the glorified state because of what Jesus Christ did in justifying us. So five points right there that are really good. He foreknew us, he predestinated us, he called us, he justified us and he glorified us. So that's the group of people that Paul that Peter is writing to back over in first first uh, Peter. There's another supportive verse that uh, is, is really good. Let me see if we can uh, find it here. Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter one, verse nine. Second Timothy. I'm sorry. Second Timothy chapter two. Second Timothy chapter two. Nevertheless, the foundation of God Standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Not a surprise to the Lord. The Lord knows who his people are, and he knew it from before the foundation of the world. The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Continues on down. Great 
admonition for us in 2 Timothy. Let's go to 1 Peter again. So Paul is saying that these that he's writing to, he's writing to a group of people that were foreknown by God, predetermined their destination, chosen by God. They've been justified by God. And now looking forward to that fullness of that glorified state. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience, sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which hath, according to His abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I I like how he describes it right here. He describes this desire, this uh, urgency, this sense that we have. He describes it as a lively hope. God, who predetermines our destination, also, as we live here in this life, gives us this lively hope to sustain us here in this life. He says, hath, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says that it's because of his great mercy that he looks down upon us. He looks down upon us with mercy and with pity and with compassion. And it's because of his great mercy that he has seen fit To give us something to help us along here in this life. You ever get discouraged here in this life? You ever get weary? You you ever get despondent here in this life? Yet there's something that keeps you going on the inside. And that's the lively hope that he's talking about right here. And he says you have it because of the mercy of God. And you have it because of Jesus Christ. He says, this lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You have the hope in Christ because you know and you've been included in that number that Jesus Christ represented upon the cross of Calvary. And you know that the grave did not contain Christ. And you know that Jesus Christ is now in the presence of Almighty God and that he tells us that where he is, that we will be there as well. And so that inspires this lively hope and encourages this lively hope that's within us. He says, by the way, you're uh, you are uh, given this lively hope by the resurrection of Christ to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now that's interesting. Talks about an inheritance. Most inheritances that we might be familiar with maybe are corruptible or maybe are defiled. Some inheritances fade away. But he says, you've been chosen by Christ And he says, your inheritance is undefiled. Your inheritance does not fade away. He says, your inheritance is not going to fade away. It's undefiled. Your inheritance is incorruptible. And he says, by the way, your inheritance 
in Christ is reserved. So nobody can take it away from you. You can't take it away from yourself. He says your inheritance is reserved for you in heaven. So your inheritance that you are given is going to be just as sure as heaven is itself. Because nobody, Satan, nor you or anybody else, can affect the inheritance that you have in Jesus Christ. He says, and by the way, you're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, your inheritance is reserved in heaven for you. And he says, you're kept by God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, just so that we don't get to thinking that it's our faith that secures us, our faith is the evidence. It is a it is a byproduct, we're taught, of the fruit of the spirit. The faith is not what uh, keeps this inheritance for us or obtains this inheritance for us, but it is the faith that God gives us to be able to connect to that inheritance, to be able to believe the inheritance, to be able to realize that, you know, I just might be included in that number, that vast number that he's talking about right here. It's the uh, faith is the element that God gives us to be able to believe all of that here in this life. Now, in heaven itself, when we experience it, when we land in heaven itself, we're not going to need faith anymore. But while we live here in this life, whether we live to be 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years of age or older than that, as long as we live here in this life, we need that we need that mode or that medium of faith to help us here in this life. So faith, faith is not something we go out and get. Faith is something that we can exercise and we can utilize and it can grow. But faith comes from God and it comes for the child of God. When the child of God is quickened by the spirit of God, then faith comes in and faith is a byproduct of the quickening spirit of almighty God. So faith is not the cause of it, but faith is the channel by which we can understand it, by, by which we can believe and and rejoice in it and God gives that as a blessing here for us he says uh, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed at the last time wherein ye greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations this is interesting what he says right here these folks suffered a lot of Hardships, a lot of difficult times. Um, it, some folks just have a hard way to go here in this life. Um, when we went to the Philippines years ago with a group of ministers, uh, it was a great blessing. But something that was, was eye-opening for me was so many of the things that we take for granted as the conveniences, the modern conveniences that we have, those folks didn't have that. Their life was hard. The folks that we visited were in the little villages. Some of them, it appeared that they didn't hardly have enough to eat and they would prepare a plate of food for you. And maybe it was rice and a little something else, some beans or something else on there. 
but it was the very best that they had. They'd give you the very best that they had. They'd open up their homes, even if they were shacks. They had a hard way to live. And from what I saw in this life, there wasn't much encouragement that it would ever be any better. I mean, that their, their life was going to be hard and difficult, and it just, you just couldn't see how it could ever be any better. My grandmother used to talk about growing up in the Depression and how that they just barely had enough to, to survive and eat. And she said, we didn't know if it would ever be any better. We didn't know what that was going to be our lot from now on. It was a difficult, difficult time. Well, Peter says something right here. And he says, the difficult times that you experience, your faith is going to shine forth. Your faith is going to be exercised. Your faith is going to help you and hold you up and sustain you in the deepest of trials and the darkest of times. And then you're going to be able to go back in your life and you're going to look at those times and you're going to realize that it was God's mercy that he was giving you extra grace. He was giving you the faith that you needed. And they're great tokens of the blessings of God when you look back upon your life. Look at what he says right here. This is really good how he describes it. I like the words that he uses. That the trial of your faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I really don't want to sign up for my faith being tried. I don't want to sign up for trials anyway. I mean, I just, that's just not, I don't want to sign up for it. But did you know that in this life, we have trials and troubles and tribulations? But he says right here, he says, this is how we should view it when we experience a trial or trouble here in this life. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth. He says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it might be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory of the appearing of Jesus Christ. From what I can see here, he's telling us right here that our faith... When our faith is tried, that what comes out of it and the use that comes out of it and the benefit of our faith is much more precious than even gold itself. He says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, that it might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He says, your faith in Christ, it's not something we ought to take lightly. But our faith in Christ is, is much more precious than gold when it's been tried with fire. And when our faith is tried, the end result is far better than gold tried with fire. He said, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, this is so good, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. He said, that's the blessing 
of you having faith here in this life. This is the end result here in this life. We're not worried about heaven itself right now. We're concerned about getting uh, through this life, encouraging one another in this life and getting through this life in a way that would honor the Lord the most. And he says right here, he says, you've been blessed with the faith that God has given his elect, his people of God, uh, his children. And he says, when your faith is tried, it's going to see you through. It's going to sustain you through. And he says, as a result here in this life, he says, you believe on him through the faith that God has given you. And as a result, the end result is that you have joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's the end result of what God has given you here in this life. And it's far better than gold that's tried with fire. Your faith. Because your faith is always going to be there with you. And it's always going to see you through. And it's always going to sustain you. It's from God. Your home is reserved in heaven for you. And he says, that's why you can experience joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's real good. It begins to talk. It begins to shift more into a practical aspect. It's been talking about our eternal aspect and and why that we uh, can rejoice in the midst of our trials. And then it begins to address a 